listening to a resource from Jambrew Anglican Church. So let me lead us in prayer. We ask our Heavenly Father that as we come to your word this morning that you would speak to us, that we would understand that you are in control of this world that sometimes feels out of control and that nothing will take you off your throne. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's impossible to escape the fact that history always repeats. History repeats itself. Back in the first century, when this letter of Revelation was first written, Christians were going through a really, really hard time. They were getting literally beheaded for following Jesus. And you'd love to think that as we, as a civilised world, were able to become more, uh, I don't know, that that we we might have actually got around to to giving people respect for religion and respect for other things, that we might have matured beyond the dark days of the first century. But history repeats itself. And throughout history, we see more and more times where Christians and others have been murdered for their faith. In fact, it is said that of all of the centuries of the world, It was the last century that saw more Christians being killed for their faith than all the others combined. History repeats itself. And so it is the message today in the book of Revelation that God has given us that is a message for our time. Because even as we speak, there are people who are being killed for following Jesus. We don't know as much about them. There are some in parts of the world where it is closed to the media. But we know that they are getting beheaded and killed for following Christ. This is a word for them. And it's also a word for us as we too go through crises of all kinds. Because we will see in particular that plagues, wars and persecutions will come and go. And even though this is the case, and even though we will see these patterns over and over again... We must never forget that history will repeat itself, but that Jesus is in control, and that's the message today. When you look at what John saw in his vision in the book of Revelation, he saw history repeating itself over and over again as well. And today we're going to look at the part of John's second vision, during which the seven seals of the scrolls are opened up. That's in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. As each seal of the scroll is opened up, we see another aspect of history. All of them in this passage are characterised by the one theme, and that is tyranny. We see the effects of the cruelty of one man and his army upon another group of people, And it happens over and over again. The book of Revelation was written to a group of people who were suffering at the hands of a tyrant, amongst other things. And the whole book was written to help them to hold on to their faith in God, despite the pressure that they had to give up. You'll remember that the letter began with John standing face to face with Jesus. And Jesus was awesome. The the picture of him was extraordinary. The picture of power, of might, of wisdom, of honour. All of those things were encapsulated in the apocalyptic vision of him with with hair and all that sort of stuff that was weird in chapter 1. It was an apocalyptic way of saying Jesus is awesome. And as Jesus is there with John, what does he say to him? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's the same word that Jesus said to his disciples as they saw him walking on the water and they, they freaked out. And Jesus said, fear not. Do not be afraid. 
It's the same Jesus. And this is the message that was written here in the book of Revelation. And we saw in chapters 2 and 3 that it had seven mini-letters, all written to churches around what is modern-day Turkey. Some of those churches were doing pretty well. Some of them were just hanging in there by their fingernails. But to all of them, we saw that Jesus was saying, remain strong and don't fail under the pressure. And then last week, we saw from chapters 4 and 5, we saw the throne room of heaven. Suddenly, John was swept up into heaven and he saw there God seated on his throne, surrounded by living creatures that praise his name. And then we saw in chapter 5 that in God's hand, as he was seated there, was a scroll. And in that scroll, there was a, it had seven seals on it that were all binding it up. The scroll was very, very important. They wanted the scroll to be opened because they knew that as it was fully opened, that the end of human history as it stands would come to a close. And that all of God's will for this creation would be handed out as each scroll was opened. But the problem was that there was no one who was worthy to open it up. And John was devastated. He was weeping like you would at a loved one at a funeral. And then the four living creatures said, whoa, just wait. And then in came the lamb that looked like it had been slaughtered. And everyone said, the lamb is worthy. Is he worthy? Yes, he is worthy to open up the scroll. And this is exciting because we know that history will end when the scroll is open. And so when it's fully open, we know that all of the mess of this world, the tyrants, the chaos, the, all of the horrible things that we see will come to a close at Judgment Day. And they cannot wait because they know how bad it really, really is. I wonder if you are waiting for the time when the scroll will be fully opened. I am. I can't wait till we get to the last one opened and judgment day comes and the mess of this world with viruses and tyrants and beheadings and all of these things come to a close. But in the meantime, we need to explore what this all means. And I need to say to you that the, in chapters 6 through to 16, we will see four different angles of human history. We're actually going to see all of human history start to finish, start to finish, start to finish, start to finish. Four times in a row. This is really important in understanding the book of Revelation. It's a little bit like when you see perhaps a, um, a, a race on TV, a car race on TV. Uh, you, you might be able to watch the entire race with all of the cameras that are around the race course. And so that it'll all be looking just so beside the car and the car comes up the main drag and all of that. And you see the whole race that way. And then because you just absolutely love car racing, you find out that you can click on a link and it will take you to the view of the entire race, but from the perspective of a helicopter. So you watch the whole race again, but this time you can see from the top the exact distances from one car to another, and you can see how that one slows down and that one speeds up. But then after that, you hear that you can click on another link and you can see the entire race from the onboard camera. And so you watch the entire race from behind your favourite driver as he's turning the wheel and he's changing down and he goes into the pit stop and he stresses when something flies off the car and smashes into someone. You see the entire race from start to finish. And then because you love the race so much, you click on another link which takes you to the pit lane. 
And for the entire race, you see the stress and the drama of having to have the car come in and fix it up in 11 seconds, and out it goes, and then this is broken, and how are you going to fix this major problem? Why am I telling you this long illustration? It's because I want you to realise that in the next 10 chapters of Revelation, we're going to see history, the whole of history, from four different perspectives. It's not start to finish. It's start to finish, start to finish, start to finish, start to finish. Revelation shows history from four different perspectives. And today's perspective is tyranny. Revealing tyranny. We see all of history as the seven seals are open. We see history from the perspective of tyranny. Over and over again, our world is going to be subject to the effects of cruel and unjust rulers. And we see this most as the first four of the seven seals are opened. So we have a look first at the first two verses of chapter 6. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals in the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and its crown was placed on its head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. The first horse is the white horse. The white horseman seeks conquest. He wants to take over other people's nations. He's got a crown which makes him a ruler and he has a bow which he will use to attack his enemies. Basically, he wants more land. He wants what those people have got over the border and he wants to take it by conquest. But it's only a matter of time before another nation comes and takes them over. And then history repeats, doesn't it? Well, the second horseman is on a red horse. A red horse, verses 3 and 4. We read that when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Uh, the red horse stands for bloodshed. This is what follows conquest, doesn't it? People are killing each other and peace is taken from the earth. I'd like to think that all of these kinds of bloodshed, these, these massacres, are something of the past history. But they're not, are they? They continue even to this day. After conquest and after bloodshed, then comes famine, verses 5 to 6. We read that but when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. We've got a rider on a black horse. He's got a pair of scales in his hand. And that is because he needs to weigh out the very scarce food, distributing it very carefully to the starving. See, the black horseman brings famine. Conquest, bloodshed, famine. But there's one more horse. We read that when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose colour was pale green. 
Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. The final horse is the pale horse. It's the, co the colour of human corpses. The colour of human corpses who mark the end of this awful journey of conquest. Conquest leads to bloodshed, leads to famine, leads to death. The pale horseman brings death. The picture here is loud and clear. There is nothing glamorous about war. You see some movies that try to glamorise war with its camaraderie and its conquests. But the best war movies are the ones that show the true evil of war. And that's what we see right here. And it would be easy for us to match up all of this description of John's, John's description of war with, with some of the battles and things that are happening to this day. And, and I think we could match it up quite nicely. But it's more than likely that he's talking about the tyranny in his own lifetime. See, back in AD 66, so that's about 30 years after Jesus died and about 30 years before this letter was written, at that time, Rome acted like the white horse and came in and invaded Galilee and Judea and the effects were awful. Many men, women and children were put to the sword and they had horrible circumstances. They witnessed war at its worst. And what we see played out here with these four horses is what they all experienced in recent history amongst those who read this. And yet within all of these words, there is something that is of comfort. In the midst of all of these things about these four horses, there is comfort, and that is found in the word come. There is comfort in the command to come. Did you notice that the horses just don't bolt out as soon as the scrolls are opened up? One seal comes out, and then it is only when one of the four living creatures, God's faithful living creatures, say come, that at that point the horse comes out. God is not taken by surprise. All of this is according to a script. Nothing is out of God's control. And what's more, the riders are given things or permitted to do things. It's written in the passive because it's talking about how God is the one who is the actor. He is the one who is active in these things. And all of this brings us comfort, a comfort. Because in the midst of all this pain and tragedy, God remains in control. You notice that? All of this we see here, that in the midst of the chaos, God is in control and he says, come. And we see this because we also notice that the evil is only restricted to a fourth of the earth. Have a look at verse 8. Knowing that God is good, even though evil exists... Have a look at, um, uh, um, we, we can see here that in all of this, there is comfort. And so one of the most perplexing things about evil, really, is the fact that, that evil makes us think that God is not good. But you know, he is. God is good, even though evil exists. Some people will say that evil means that God is not good, or that he's not powerful, or that he's not even there. But this is a fresh reminder in the book of Revelation that God is good all the time, even in times of evil. Because the evil riders are doing what is in their nature. 
They conquer things because they're greedy and they're evil. And they are going to be judged and punished for that. And yet God remains in control of everything that is happening here. When you see pain and suffering overseas or far away, you're saddened and shocked by it. But it's only really when it happens in your own family or in your own neighbourhood that you really feel it to heart. And the first thing that often is asked is, why? Where is God in all of this? Some people will blame God. Atheists will even blame God by nature. They blame God and they say, hang on a second, I can't blame him because he doesn't exist. Oh, it must just be unlucky. No, hang on, there's no such thing as luck. Hang on, I'm in a bit of a fix now. See, people will very naturally turn to God and say, you are the one who's responsible for this. But God is not the one who, it is the one who is, takes responsibility for all of this, is the one who is the evil one who is going about doing the conquesting. And then we see that in verses 9 and 10. Because when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Now we see the victims of the evil conquest. They are the ones who are the victims of faithful service to the true and living God. They are the ones who were brutally killed for refusing to bow down to the emperor in the first century. And they're the ones who today are killed for refusing to deny Christ and to submit to the wicked tyrants of the modern world. They've been slain. They've been beheaded. But now they are alive. <laughs> and they are alive in the presence of God. And not only are they alive, they are victorious. Verse 11. A white robe was given to each of them. And they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. The white robe shows victory and purity. See, these faithful believers were victorious. You know, sometimes when we face trials of different kinds, we think, has it really been worth it? Is God actually sovereign? If you were amongst those people who said, we will follow Jesus even if we are threatened by ISIS. We will follow Jesus even if the armies and powers of North Korea shut us down and kill us. You think, is it actually true? Is it actually worth it? Well, when we see this, we can know that Jesus has conquered. And he is there with his people. It reminds us of that wonderful part of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You can imagine them almost reciting that verse as they're there in the presence of Jesus, wearing their white robes, being victorious. And they're told in all of this, just wait a little bit longer. What do they need to wait for? They need to wait for justice. They need to wait for the wrath of the Lamb. 
Well, the sixth seal is now opened up. It's the second last one. And the whole world is shaken to its core. Verses 12 to 14 says, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. This is real end of the world kind of apocalyptic sort of stuff, isn't it? Because now the wrath of God is finally here. Finally, God's anger is going to be poured out. And this is what we've been waiting for. And we now see how people react. Have a look here. Seven different types of people from seven different walks of life. Verse 15, everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. All these people are there. They are hiding in the rocks and the mountains. What do they fear? They fear the wrath of God. They're terrified. It doesn't matter whether they are slaves or whether they are kings. And they say, 16 and 17, they cry to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to survive? You see, the time is coming and they know that their wrath that they deserve for the way that they have acted in rebellion against Jesus the King. That day is coming. And it is a fresh reminder here that God has not ignored the evil. It's not like Jesus has sat back and said, yeah, whatever. He is watching it. He is feeling it. He knows it. And he is waiting. The judgment of God is very, very real. We looked at it in detail over the whole month of February. And if you missed out on listening to those talks, jump onto our website and have a look at our podcast. Have a listen to those. Because here we are given a very reminder here in the book of Revelation of just what we have seen throughout all the scriptures, that God's judgment is real and it is awesome and it is gracious. But we've got to understand that just because he hasn't done it right now doesn't mean that he's fallen asleep in the job. Now, there's a reason that he hasn't come back just yet to judge. And that is because God is patient. God is patient so that more people can repent. That's exactly what we see behind these words in 2 Peter 3.9. That the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Now he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent uh, there's a reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet, why the final scroll, final seal of the scroll hasn't been opened yet. It's because he's waiting to give people a chance to come to Jesus. And it may be that you're watching our live stream this very morning and you're not totally sure if you're friends with Jesus yet and you think that there's a possibility that when he comes you will be running into the mountains and the hills and saying, let them crush me because I'm scared of Jesus' wrath for what I've done in my life and the way that I've lived my life for myself and not for the creator king, Jesus. If that is you, then Jesus is waiting. And he's waiting so that you've still got an opportunity to come back to him and say, I'm sorry for that. I'm really sorry that I had my own crown on my own head. And so I take my crown off and lay it at your feet. And I say, Jesus, you are the king. And I'm sorry that I've been the king.
and he will then say, I forgive you, and you will then no longer need to fear that day of judgment. You will no longer need to fear his wrath. What a wonderful word of comfort that is. He's waiting, not forever, for a thousand years, however long that is, there will come to an end. You've still got time. And with this, the chapter ends, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, it's going to be answered in just a moment. The answer is, it's those who worship the Lamb. Now we look at chapter 7, which we're going to look at a lot quicker than the chapter 6. And we see firstly now what is going to happen with the wrath as it comes out. We see in chapter 7 verse 1 that I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. See, right now the angels are ready to wreak destruction upon the land. And before that happens, there is a voice. And it says, Don't! No, stop! Wait! I need to make sure that my people are safe. God will keep his people safe during judgment. He will save them from his wrath because they have chosen to worship him, not the emperor. They've said, I will not bow down to the rulers of this earth that say, you must worship me, not Jesus. You must turn away from Jesus and turn away. And they've said, no way, over my dead body. And so they die. They are the ones who will be kept safe and all who have continued to confess Jesus' name and that you and me, if you're a friend of Jesus. The wonderful thing is you'll be kept safe during judgment. And now, all these people who have been given this special seal, this special ticket in, this leave pass, this, this way of entry, the safety right there, the passport to heaven, they are now presented before God. In verses 4 to 9, we read, And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God, that protection. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Ishkath, 12,000. From Zebulun, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. From Benjamin, 12,000. And then after this, I saw a crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Here we have two different perspectives on God's people. The first perspective, we see language that connects with the Old Testament description of all the people of God. We've got 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 in total. Here is the full complement of God's people. Uh, not literally 144,000, as someone might say, some people might say, but it's describing 12,000 times 12. It's the complete perfect number of all who are there. And then we've got another picture 
which is just kind of saying it is that everybody who has come to Jesus and they've gathered there from across all the different nations. You see, Christians from all nations gather in heaven. They're the ones who chose to take refuge in God. They're the ones who didn't bow down to the competing gods and rulers. And as they are there, millions and millions and millions of people there, what do they do? They have a chorus of praise. They have the chorus of the saved. And they sing out, verses 10 to 12, with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshipped God and they sang, Amen! Blessing and honor, I'm sorry, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. They praise God by telling him how awesome he is. He saved them. It's all about being saved. That is the greatest thing you can say. God, look at who you are and look at what you've done. And then all the angels around the throne and all the living creatures fall before him and worship him and they say, you are awesome. And why do, they do, why do they choose singing? Because it's a way of just sort of bringing out, words is just not enough. You've got to set it to music to give it that extra oof. And we today sing because God is awesome. Now, I don't know, it's, it's a bit weird singing at the moment in the time of the coronavirus. We, we're all sort of in smaller groups. And I miss the sound of having this room here full of people singing out with joy. And when we start to have more and more people coming in here, I can't wait to hear the echo of this room the reverberating with your voices. But for now, you need to do it sitting in your lounge room next to one other person or on your own in front of your iPad or whatever it is. That's all right. You're singing before the Lord and you're singing with us in spirit and you're singing with those around the throne room right now where you are seated, where you have been raised. We sing for joy. And then after this, we see a, an even clearer picture of these people who have been saved by God. Verses 13 and 14, we read that one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. You see, what we see here is that it's those who have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, this is not an instruction about how to keep your whites white because if you put red in the white then it's generally going to be pretty bad unless you're looking at it this way because it's the blood of the lamb that will make your your robes white because it is the blood of the lamb that takes away our sin what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of jesus it's his blood that makes them white. It's his blood that takes the punishment upon, themself, upon himself and not upon those who are there under the, under the table, under there, the souls there in the altar. You see, you'd say, are they who have stood up and said, I'm following Jesus, have they lived a perfect life? Well, I've got to say that they died an honourable death, but did they live a sinless life? No, they've sinned. Many of them have sinned a whole lot. 
as much as you and me even. But they are up there in white because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that is why that you can join them and I can join them and will join them because the blood of Jesus has been shed instead of mine. The blood of Jesus has been sacrificed instead of the instead of the wrath upon God that I deserve upon my shoulders. See, in all of this, we need to remember that Christianity brings safety from God's judgment. Don't think that you become a Christian so that you can improve your life a little bit. You've already got the dream car and the dream relationship and the dream job and the dream house and the dream holidays and the dream all that. And you think, well, you know, I reckon I feel like I, I need a dream religion. Well, Christianity's been around a few years. It's got some nice, pretty buildings. Let me upgrade with a bit of Christianity. That is not how it works. We come to Christ because only in Christ can we find salvation from God's judgment. That is the reason you come to Christ. Well, in all of this, we're reminded, of course, about the current world. Our current world continues to be at war. There are wars on now, there are rumours of war, and it's going to keep happening, and throughout the last 2,000 years, it's happened over and over again. But it's not going to be forever. There will come a time when it will come to a close. And so when this happens, we know that the anger of God will be handed out on all who have stood against Jesus and against his people. And this is what we're reminded in our final verses from today, 15 to 17. We read of those people that that is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's what we're looking forward to, isn't it? That's what we're longing for, isn't it? We live in fear at the moment. You go down to the shops and someone gets a bit close to you and you feel a bit of fear, don't you? You're wondering, are they going to be the person who's going to give me COVID-19 and is my body going to be strong enough to be able to cope with it? There's fear around. And there's fear for those who stand up for Jesus in a world that hates him. But the time is coming when there will be no more tears. The tears will end. We'll have the springs of living water and it will all be here at the shepherd of God's people, the lamb upon the throne. Let me pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, so much that you have loved us enough to send your son, the lamb, to die for us so that by his blood we might be washed clean if we trust in him. We honour all who have died in the face of persecution and we pray in the midst of continued persecution that the saints would keep standing up and focusing on Jesus even to the point of death. And we pray, Lord, that as we endure difficulties in life, we who trust in Jesus would be reminded that the end is coming soon. Jesus, you are turning, you're returning back soon. And we pray that we would be eager and long for that day and that you would keep us faithful to the end. And we ask it in your name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. For more information, head to jamborooanglican.com.